of um, um, a black freighter. It's on one of our albums from the Carnegie Hall album many years ago. And it's a story, it's written by Bertolt Brecht and Kirk Vile in 1932. And it's a story of Jenny in a flop house in Germany. We have transported Jiminy, Jenny to a flop house in South Carolina. And Jenny has decided that she's going to kill everybody this night. Everybody that's coming to that flop house, she's going to kill them, and tomorrow she's going home. You gentlemen can watch while I'm scrubbing these floors, and I'm scrubbing the floors while you're gawking. Maybe once you tip me and it makes you feel swell in this crummy southern town, in this crummy old hotel, but you'll never guess to who you're talking. No, you'll never guess to who you're talking. Suddenly one night there's a yell in the night and you say, who's that kicking up a row? And then you see me kind of grinning while I'm scrubbing. And you say, what the hell she got to grin for now? I'll tell you there's a shame. The blood There's nobody gonna sleep here. Not tonight, honey. Nobody. Suddenly one night, there's a yell in the night, and you say, what the hell could that have been? And then you see me kind of staring out the window, and you say, what the hell she got to stare at now? I'll tell you there's a shame. The black freighter turns around in the harbor, shooting guns from her bow. Now you gentlemen can wipe off that smile off your face, cause every building in town is a flat one. This whole frickin' place will be down to the ground, only this cheap hotel. And you yell, why do they spare that one? All the night through, through the noise, and to do you wonder, who's that person that lives up there? And then you see me stepping out in the morning, looking nice with a ribbon in my hair. And the ship
Welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. It's Friday, March 3rd, 2017. That was Nina Simone with Pirate Jenny. I was in a conversation with someone recently, and a song was mentioned. I don't quite remember the occurrence or the circumstances, but the title stuck in my mind, so I wanted to play that to start off the show today. Hope everyone is doing as best as we can, given the circumstances, given that we are living under a fascist regime that is making more and more laws by the day that seek to destroy humanity. And I would like to come here and speak about something positive or something optimistic. And I suppose there are a lot of folks taking action, a lot of people organizing, and that's wonderful. And at the same time, it's really crucial to recognize just what we're up against. And also important to remember that it's not like all this just happened all of a sudden. Yes, things did get worse in January. Things got worse in November. And given the current administrations, a lot of the the problems that we're seeing right now have been happening for a very long time. When we talk about deportations, talk about mass incarceration, police brutality, lack of funding for education and the arts, lack of access to health care. These are things that the environment, like a lot of, not the environment, that's a good thing. However, lack of care for the environment, uh, one could say. These are things that didn't just suddenly get bad all of a sudden this year. For a lot of folks who have been paying attention, I guess depending on the bubbles that we live in, uh, this country hasn't been safe for a lot of people for a very long time. And we can even go back centuries to, to see why that is and how it started out. And I think it's really crucial to remember that it's not that things just suddenly got bad. It's been leading up to this for a long time. And even with the last administration, we can talk about mass surveillance, for instance, and a lot of it's set up now so that with a fascist in charge, with a fascist regime in charge, they can uh, survey us even more or, and or use it for really bad means. For folks who have seen the movie Snowden, there's a, 
little segment spoiler alert but it's what actually happened in life so it's not much of a spoiler it's more just like news that we should get out there there's a scene when snowden's talking to his friend his partner and he says oh you should cover up the uh the video camera part of your, not the video camera part, but the camera on your on your computer because they can turn it on without, they can just go into your computer and turn it on and start videotaping you or taping you. Not tape, there's no VHS involved, but you get what I'm saying, record it. They can spy on us. So I'm saying that as I'm looking at my computer right now with a little piece of paper that's covering up the camera. So that's one thing that's just, it's been going on for a long time. And when we talk about living under this regime, it's really important to remember that a lot of this has been coming up for a long time and it's not, a lot of this is not anything new. It's just in fact gotten worse. It's not to say, oh, well, what's now happening isn't bad. Of course it's bad. It's really traumatic and it's frightening for millions of people. And we need to also be aware that this has been a long time coming because due to a lot of inaction, people saying, well, these these things don't affect me or they don't affect me too much. Oh, I'm not being deported. My friends aren't being deported. My family's not being deported, so I'm not going to stand up against this. Yet this last, the previous administration saw millions of people being deported. And we can also talk about the rise in mass incarceration over the past few decades. And we can talk about that. And, you know, where where we, I mean, that's where we're going to be sent when, when you look at it. It's not like, uh, it, it's, it was a, a good thing that it existed in the first place. So... Uh, really need to work towards uh, prison abolition, uh, starting off especially with the private prisons, and that's just disgusting. They're all about just cheap labor. They don't care who they're using or who they're locking away. So I'm going to read a call to action which came from Refused Fascism. And there are Refused Fascism meetings that happen pretty frequently, so if you're interested in getting involved, uh, they're across the country, please do check out refusefascism.org. So I'm going to read the call, and it's really just a wake-up call for a lot of folks. So a call to action. No, in the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America. Drive out the Trump-Pence regime. The Trump-Pence regime is a fascist regime. Not insult or exaggeration, this is what it is. For the future of humanity and the planet, we, the people, must drive this regime out. Donald Trump and Mike Pence have assembled a vicious cabal that has put forth positions and begun initiatives which demonstrate that they fully intend to shred political and social norms with catastrophic consequence. Because Trump has set, has his finger on the nuclear trigger, the Trump-Pence regime is more dangerous to the world than even Hitler. Fascism has direction and momentum. Dissent is piece by piece criminalized. The truth is bludgeoned. Group after group is demonized and targeted along a trajectory that leads to real horrors. All of this has already begun under the Trump regime. History has shown that fascism must be stopped before it becomes too late. Millions of people outraged by this regime took to the streets delivering a stinging rebuke to Trump the day after the inauguration. Protest and resistance continues against the many attacks on the people by the Trump-Pence administration. This must grow broader, deeper, and more determined. This resistance is righteous and necessary, but it is not sufficient. We must recognize that the character of fascism is that it can absorb separate acts of resistance while continually throwing the opposition off balance by rapidly moving its agenda forward. The Trump-Pence regime will repeatedly launch new, highly repressive measures 
eventually clamping down on all resistance and remaking the law, if they are not driven from power. In the first weeks of the Trump-Pence regime, they have begun subverting the separation of powers, the separation of church and state, called for a new nuclear arms race, demonized the press, dismissed the very concept of truth, substituting their own fabricated alternative facts. It can already be said of Trump-Pence that first they came for the Muslims, then the Mexicans, then all refugees, then women, then black and Latino people, LGBTQ persons, the environment, and anyone who doesn't conform or submit to their vision and plan for a nation cohered around white supremacy and a political form of Christian fundamentalism that should rightly be called Christian fascism. Fascism is not just a gross combination of horrific reactionary policies. It is a qualitative change in how society is governed. Fascism foments and relies on a xenophobic nationalism, racism, misogyny, and the aggressive reinstitution of oppressive traditional values. In Trump's election campaign, he encouraged and fed on the threat and use of violence to build a movement and come to power. In his inaugural address, he pledged allegiance only to this movement. What is crucial to understand is that once in power, fascism essentially eliminates traditional democratic rights. Even as the Trump-Pence regime is moving fast, they have not yet fully consolidated their regime, or, as yet, been able to implement their full program. But this is their objective, and it is very possible. It might only take a single serious crisis, international or domestic, for this regime to drop the hammer. We do not have much time. Don't normalize. Don't accommodate. Don't conciliate. Don't collaborate. There is method to Trump's madness that echoes Hitler. Fascism advances in stages through outrage, shock, and intimidation, followed by brief periods of normalization where people accommodate to the new situation the regime has imposed. After the election, Obama said of Trump, we are, all, we are now all rooting for his success. No, if Trump succeeds, humanity loses. Bernie Sanders has said that he will work with Trump on jobs or where they agree. No, if you work with fascists, you normalize the road to horror. This is not just a pendulum swing Democrat to Republican, but a regime that is moving to establish a fascist order under the signboard of America First. Acting as if the election in 2018 or 2020 is the way to deal with this regime is folly. <clears throat> betraying a lack of understanding of just how fast, furious, and profoundly this regime will change the rules, cement its rule, destroy lives, and crush spirits. You cannot try to wait things out. Those who lived through Nazi Germany and sat on the sidelines looking on as Hitler demonized, criminalized, and eventually rounded up one group after another became shameful collaborators with monstrous crimes. All of this is what renders the Trump-Pence regime illegitimate and a grave threat to people all over the world. Therefore, we resolve, one, our single unifying mission must be to drive out the Trump-Pence regime. Two, <coughs> we must manifest the power of no everywhere on signs, billboards, walls, social media, and the news. No, in the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America must resound.
Three, every outrage committed by this regime must be met with greater and greater resistance. Four, we must organize, working with all our creativity and determination toward the time when millions of people can be moved to fill the streets of cities and towns day after day and night after night, declaring this whole regime illegitimate. <coughs> hmm. Demanding and not stopping until the Trump-Pence regime is driven from power. If this happens, then the whole political landscape would be dramatically transformed. Every faction within the established power structure would be forced to respond. And all this could lead to a situation in which this fascist regime is driven from office. Let it not be said that we did not move heaven and earth to drive out this regime. This must be a moment in history when millions stand together with conviction and courage, <coughs> overcoming fear and uncertainty, to resist and say no, not just for ourselves, but in the name of humanity. Drive out the Trump-Pence regime. And you can find this call at refusefascism.org. So I think that says a lot of it right there and what needs to be done. And again, there's a lot of folks who are organizing and a lot of people who are getting together. There's folks being trained on what to do when ice, when the ice raids come. And there's folks who are t talking about in churches and hiding people, because this is what it's come to. There are people who have been refused entry into the United States. This is, it's unheard of and it's obscene. And again, we've only been in this for a few months. You know what's next? There's talks of the executive order that can be anti-LGBTQ. We've heard of them already dismissing the idea that trans kids have a right to use the bathroom that they want to use, which is child, you know, it's, it's child abuse to say that kids can't go to the bathroom. So this is what we're up against and that there's more to come. They're, n they're not just going to stop. And so it's really up to us to get the word out, to get folks who aren't involved, to get them involved, to have storefronts have the no call outside their window so folks walking by recognize that, no, we're not going to tolerate this. There's a discussion I was at last night, and they were saying it's, it's more than just to have a sign-up that says, we welcome all people. Of course you should welcome all people. Every place should welcome all people. In a way, that's almost saying, oh, sure, that's, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to welcome all people, instead of saying, whoa, what's happening right now is so absurd we're not, it's, it's, we need to be more upfront with what we're, we're refusing to even normalize this behavior. The fact that we have to, in a way, defend ourselves. It, it shouldn't, every place should be welcoming to all people is the, is the idea. So really wanting to put that out there. I also had some good talks with some folks. I've had a lot of great talks with people this, this week, and I encourage people to do the same. A lot of one-on-one -on -one talks, a lot of talks in groups. Talk to people you haven't talked to before. Talk to people from different backgrounds. Um, just to get other perspectives, to see what other people are going through. Because if you're only talking to folks who are very similar to you in a lot of ways, uh, odds are you might not learn that much. If you talk to people with a different experience, you're going to learn a lot and also just question one's own behavior. So one idea that we, were, that we were talking about was how oftentimes people end up going to certain actions or protests or organizing some that in the end don't really help the people that they're seeking to help. A lot of the time it's to make white people feel better about things. Like, oh, I'm doing something. Instead of actually looking as to how concrete these actions are to helping vulnerable populations. So that's something else to think about. And I myself, I think I'm guilty of that to an extent for sure, where I am angry, I am really upset. I have been for a long time. I've been politically active for a long time. 
And part of it is I do want to stay active because I feel the need to, and I'm able to, not everyone's able to be out there, you know, physically. And so if I feel if I'm able to, then I, I do want to be out there. And it though should be more than just, oh, so I feel better. There should be a, a concrete goal at the end. We should be doing this to actually help people and not just to resolve or absolve our own guilt for just staying still while this regime takes power. And I think that's important. There's a great speech that Angela Davis gave yesterday, and I posted that on the Weekly Review webpage so folks can check it out in its entirety. And one really, I mean, she made so many great points. And one, of course, was that even if we don't see it in our lifetime, that doesn't mean that we should stop working. And think about what folks who went, who are living in the past, think about folks who are living through slavery, what they went through and what they fought for. Uh, so they didn't get to see what happened now, what's, what's happened, what has come from that. Um, that doesn't mean that all of this work has gone unvalued. So it's really important that folks keep on fighting. And even if we don't see it in our lifetime, we don't see the changes that we want, we don't see the world that we want fully created in our lifetime, we need to keep on fighting so we remember that generations from now, they can look back and you know be like, well, at least folks back then were fighting. So again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and she, she said it much more eloquently and much more to the point. I think that's really important because it's exhausting. I'm fucking exhausted. I didn't want to come in today. I always come in. I'm pretty much, unless I'm out of town, I, I come in. I, I'm just tired, and I recognize there's people who are doing like, tons more than I am. It's it's high. It's just exhausting work, just to to be present, to listen, to plan, to organize, to try to get other people involved. We're up against a monstrosity here. They have a lot of power. They have weapons. They have folks following orders who are following orders pretty much to hurt us and to hurt our families and our communities. So we need to organize to find a way to stop this and to also to create the world that we all deserve to live in, which is where everyone feels safe. I can only speak from my own experience. And the thing is, I know I'm not alone in that. In the past, even six months, even before the election, I, I started getting angrier. I uh, started trusting people less, much more irritable, much more afraid. And I recognize a lot of this has to do with the political climate. And I've always been, I've never really trusted the government per se. Uh, to a greater degree, though, now, really, like, there's, it, it's not just like, oh, maybe it's in my mind. It's coming out with actual actions and laws to harm people. And it's cruel. It's, we can, like, take out the word fascist and even just talk about how, what they're doing, which is hurting people. They're separating families. They're not allowing people to travel together. They're banning people from the country. They're setting laws to hurt people. It's cruel. So regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, if you care about humanity, if you believe that everyone deserves to be safe, if families don't deserve to be torn apart, then you should be standing up against this regime right now. It's a, there's a moral. It's moral. So it, again, it's not even a political thing. It's a moral thing. If you care about humanity, if you care about your neighbors and your friends and your families, people you haven't even met, if you care about what's just and what's right in the world, Take a stand. Have conversations with people who might not get it yet, who might not realize how crucial this is. And again, there's a lot of comparisons to talking about Nazi Germany, and there's a lot of people recognizing the parallels. Recently, Trump said he's going to create an agency that's going to publish a list of crimes by immigrants, when we all know that the crimes that are being committed here in this country, a lot of them 
are done by white supremacists. They have they are continuing to harass and attack people, and they're not being held accountable. There's a lot of folks in this regime who are causing more harm than undocumented people, and they're not being held accountable. And this is very similar to what, what Hitler did. They, they created a list of crimes committed by Jews to try to get folks to try to follow them and to blame marginalized, disenfranchised groups, people who are already struggling or marginalized. They're trying to get other folks to blame them instead of look at other folks who are causing a lot of harm and a lot of crimes. That's one parallel. <sighs> the idea of demonizing any group of people is just sick. And the thing is, with this regime, though, they're going after so many people. It's really, it's really, if you don't fit into this kind of cookie-cutter idea of who, if you're not like a well-off white cis man, then they don't really care. And I should probably add Christian to that, too. So there have been a number of uh, Jewish community centers that have been receiving bomb threats. There's at least three uh, Jewish cemeteries that have had headstones that have been toppled and knocked over. And, you know, the folks who are coming to the rescue, who are coming to support, have been Muslims. There's uh, folks in the Muslim military who have said, hey, I'll come help protect the cemetery. And there are Muslims who have been donating to the, to the, for the cemeteries, just as Jewish folks have been donating to the mosques that have been burned. Several mosques have been burned down. So we're, these are hate crime attacks that we're hearing about, yet the regime still wants to blame immigrants for the violence that's occurring right now in this country, when in fact it's, it's white supremacists. <sighs> 2017 has also, there's been a continuation of the murders of a lot of trans women a lot of trans women of color so far this year. It's up to seven right now, seven reported cases. It's fucking ridiculous, and it has to end. And this is, again, it's ongoing. This happened. This has been happening for years. People have been, are being murdered just for being who they are. So if people are being murdered for who they are, and then this, this regime wants to say, well, if you're a trans youth, um, we're not going to trust you to use the bathroom that you say you need to use. What is that? What message is that sending to the trans youth out there, to trans adults, to everyone else in society, to not trust trans people and to other them and us? I'm I'm trans, so I'll include my that myself in that. It feels pretty shitty. It feels pretty terrible that someone is going to assume that they know more about me than I know about myself. That they know where I would go to the bathroom, and the fact that we're even I'm wasting air and my breath and my voice even talking about it right now is ridiculous. But that's where we're at. That's what we have when we have this regime in power. It's disgusting and it's backwards. It's infantile, which is an insult to inf it's an insult to infants, because I, I like infants. I like uh, I think kids are wise and creative. This regime, though, is just despicable and cruel and mean. They don't have an excuse. It's not just like oh they're making a mistake. Steve Bannon's a fucking Nazi. And he's the one that Trump is listening to when they make all these plans. They're following this fascist rule book to try to separate people and to harm people. <sighs> so that's the opening rant for the show today. And that's kind of where I'm at, feeling very... I'm, I'm energized by the fight that is happening right now and feeling the need to do more. There's always more that can be done. And I really want to remember that. Uh, 
we'll get to some news stories today. I also want to encourage folks to call in if you have uh, anything you'd like to add, suggestions, questions, stories. What's getting you through right now? You can call us at 415-550-0511. Also, we'll be playing some songs off Star Amarasu's new album, Rebecca, which is great. Uh, Star had a album release party at El Rio a few nights ago, and it was great. The music's awesome, so we'll be playing some music from that. Last week on the show, uh, we spoke with Melissa Gutierrez, and one thing we ended up talking about was addiction and how the opposite of addiction is connection. And this country definitely seems to like push the ways of addiction a lot, whether it's through food or drugs or alcohol or sex or anything. There's a lot of things that we end up doing to maybe either avoid what's happening or because we don't have any real choices maybe or not, we don't have the options. And, of course, a lot of substances are criminalized. That's something else this fucking stupid-ass regime is doing. Uh, Jeff Sessions, who should have never been appointed in the first place, he's a fucking terrible racist, just awful, gross human being. He's uh, against uh, marijuana legalization. And, as we all know, cannabis is a medicine, and it helps a lot of people. And even if folks want to use it recreationally, I mean, I don't think people should be judged as to what they want to put in their bodies or not. That's not up for anyone else to decide. And the idea that people have been locked away for smoking a joint, something that doesn't hurt anyone, is ridiculous. And it's especially hypocritical given the fact that big pharma, like pharmaceuticals are legal, yet plenty of people get addicted to those, yet it's depending on who's profiting off these, right? And who you can lock up for using them. And of course, also punishing people instead of rehabilitating people doesn't help. It makes things worse. So you send someone out... You punish someone for using a drug. You, you don't send them to a fucking cage. You don't send them to a jail. Ideally, one wants to rehabilitate them or try to find ways to help these people instead of punishing them for using a substance or looking at the root of the problem. Like, why are people using? Uh, maybe because society's fucked. Maybe that's the reason, huh? Think about it. So there's a great video that was uh, created recently, and I'm going to play the, the audio from that, and that just explains it a little bit more, the idea of the scientific... And they do animal testing in it to prove their point, which is, if we could move beyond animal testing, I think that'd be great. But, you know, we're humans, so we have to, like, not only just use and abuse each other, we also have to use and abuse animals for our own means. But here we go. Anyway, it makes a point that the opposite of addiction is connection. So we'll be playing this, and I'll be back in a little bit. What causes, say, heroin addiction? This is a really stupid question, right? It's obvious. We all know it. Heroin causes heroin addiction. Here's how it works. If you use heroin for 20 days, by day 21, your body would physically crave the drug ferociously because there are chemical hooks in the drug. That's what addiction means. But there's a catch. Almost everything we think we know about addiction is wrong. If you, for example, break your hip, you'll be taken to a hospital and you'll be given loads of diamorphine for weeks or even months. Diamorphine is heroin. It's in fact much stronger heroin than any addict can get on the street because it's not contaminated by all the stuff drug dealers dilute it with. There are people near you being given loads of deluxe heroin in hospitals right now. So at least some of them should become addicts. But this has been closely studied. It doesn't happen. Your grandmother wasn't turned into a junkie by her hip replacement. Why is that? 
our current theory of addiction comes in part from a series of experiments that were carried out earlier in the 20th century. The experiment is simple. You take a rat and put it in a cage with two water bottles. One is just water, the other is water laced with heroin or cocaine. Almost every time you run this experiment, the rat will become obsessed with the drugged water and keep coming back for more and more until it kills itself. But in the 1970s, Bruce Alexander, a professor of psychology, noticed something odd about this experiment. The rat is put in the cage all alone. It has nothing to do but take the drugs. What would happen, he wondered, if we tried this differently? So he built Rat Park, which is basically heaven for rats. It's a lush cage where the rats would have colored balls, tunnels to scamper down, plenty of friends to play with, and they could have loads of sex, everything a rat about town could want. And they would have the drugged water and the normal water bottles. But here's the fascinating thing. In Rat Park, rats hardly ever use the drugged water. None of them ever use it compulsively. None of them ever overdose. But maybe this is a quirk of rats, right? Well, helpfully, there was a human experiment along the same lines, the Vietnam War. 20% of American troops in Vietnam were using a lot of heroin. People back home were really panicked because they thought there would be hundreds of thousands of junkies on the streets of the United States when the war was over. But a study followed the soldiers home and found something striking. They didn't go to rehab. They didn't even go into withdrawal. 95% of them just stopped after they got home. If you believe the old theory of addiction, that makes no sense. But if you believe Professor Alexander's theory, it makes perfect sense. Because if you're put into a horrific jungle in a foreign country where you don't want to be, and you could be forced to kill or die at any moment, doing heroin is a great way to spend your time. But if you go back to your nice home with your friends and your family, it's the equivalent of being taken out of that first cage and put into a human rat park. It's not the chemicals, it's your cage we need to think about addiction differently. Human beings have an innate need to bond and connect. When we are happy and healthy, we will bond with the people around us. But when we can't, because we're traumatized, isolated or beaten down by life, we will bond with something that gives us some sense of relief. It might be endlessly checking a smartphone, it might be pornography, video games, Reddit, gambling, or it might be cocaine. But we will bond with something because that is our human nature. The path out of unhealthy bonds is to form healthy bonds, to be connected to people you want to be present with. Addiction is just one symptom of the crisis of disconnection that's happening all around us. We all feel it. Since the 1950s, the average number of close friends an American has has been steadily declining. At the same time, the amount of floor space in their homes has been steadily increasing. To choose floor space over friends, to choose stuff over connection. The war on drugs we've been fighting for almost a century now has made everything worse. Instead of helping people heal and getting their life together, we have cast them out from society. We have made it harder for them to get jobs and become stable. We take benefits and support away from them if we catch them with drugs. We throw them in prison cells, which are literally cages. We put people who are not well in a situation that makes them feel worse and hate them for not recovering. For too long, we've talked only about individual recovery from addiction. But we need now to talk about social recovery, because something has gone wrong with us as a group. We have to build a society that looks a lot more like Rat Park and a lot less like those isolated cages. We are going to have to change the unnatural way we live and rediscover it of addiction is connection. 
This video is a collaboration with Johan Hari, the author of the book Chasing the Scream, the first and last days of the war on drugs.
Hello and welcome back. That was Amarasu with Rebecca. And you can find that on the SoundCloud. And I'll also provide a link to buy the album and download individual tracks later on in the program. So we talk here about things that are happening right now in the country that's really problematic. But don't forget, things have been problematic for a long time. It didn't just happen overnight. So there's a story here from Democracy Now!, which is also from The Guardian. Uh, the Guardian's a really great resource for news. I recommend folks check that out. And uh, this came out on February 28th. Uh, suspects in Berta Caceres' murder received training in the United States. So the United States has a history of going into other countries and having their way and just imperialist forces causing destruction. Um, we're not necessarily taught that in a lot of schools, uh, depending on your teachers or what's in the history books, who's writing the history books. It's a very... Uh, history is written by certain people. What we learn is a very biased version. What we see in the media is a very biased version. And also, if you're murdered by forces, you don't have a chance to tell your fucking story. So it's up to journalists and other folks to to tell the truth and to find out what's actually happening. And it's really difficult, especially when there are regimes in power that don't want the truth to get out. In D.C., there's an awesome museum, the News Museum. The Newseum, I think it's called. And there's a great quote on the outside. Maybe it's on the inside. Uh, that's along the lines of news is pretty much everything that those in power don't want to have come out. That's not quite it. You get the point, though. It's this idea that uh, it's it's news only if people in power don't want it to happen or have it be leaked. So this is something along those lines. So this murder happened, I want to say, a couple years ago. And we'll, the story will have more. Yeah, one year, nearly one year ago. And we'll talk more about that. And, of course... One of the candidates who did not win this year uh, was involved with this or backed regimes that were involved with this, which is, I think, part of the reason that a lot of us, when it came time to vote, were recognizing that the, fo- the choices that we have this year were very problematic. A new investigation by The Guardian has revealed that leaked court documents allege Honduran environmental activist Berta Katsaris's murder nearly one year ago was planned by Honduran military indel- intelligence members who are linked to the country's U.S.-trained special forces. Katsaris was murdered by armed gunmen just before midnight on March 2nd, 2016. At the time of her murder, she was fighting hydroelectric dams threatening the ancestral land of the indigenous Lenca people. The Guardian investigation, published today, reveals that at least two men who have been arrested in connection with Katsaris's murder, Mariano Diaz and Douglas Giovanni Bustillo, received military training in the United States. Honduran prosecutors say phone records reveal extensive communication between Diaz, Bustillo, and a former Honduran Special Forces sniper who has also been charged in the murder. Prosecutors say this: the third man, Henry Javier Hernandez, may have also worked as an informant for Honduran military intelligence. Prosecutors say one of the messages between the three men even includes a coded reference to a payment for an extrajudicial killing. So that's uh, something else, too, with folks who are working to protect the environment around the world that's happening here now with the folks who are attacked at Standing Rock and other folks wanting to protect the land from pipelines. It's not just, of course, outside the U.S., it's also in the U.S. here, 
where people are fighting to protect their ancestral lands, to protect burial grounds, and greed leads people to come in to take the lands, to do what they want with it, to cause a lot of problems. And as we all know, it's not a matter of if the pipelines leak, it's a matter of when. These pipelines constantly leak. They pollute the earth. They pollute the water. And those in positions of power don't care because they're making money off it. They sell it by saying, oh, we've got jobs for people. Um, how about jobs in solar energy? How about jobs that are green energy or jobs that don't involve using oil? And then you've got the security forces who have gone out and hurt people. There's the woman who was protesting whose arm was fucking blown off. Many people have been arrested and attacked. They used water cannons, and then they lie about it. The forces that be lie about it. And this is this is the world we live in. Again, I say it every week. Oh, by the way, trigger warning. It's 1245. Oops. Trigger warning. It's the news program. We'll be talking about violence committed by the state most of the time. This is the world that we live in, and I would love to come here. I think about coming and think, oh, I'll just play music this week. That doesn't happen. I don't think that's ever happened. Maybe I think there was one show I did maybe two and a half years ago where I just played music, and that would be great. And I, I can, of course. It's not, you know, I don't I don't have to uh, assume like I'm some, like I'm nailed to the cross, like, oh, look at me. Oh, I'm talking about the news. Oh. You know, I could come in here and play music. And at the same time, I think it's really crucial just to get the word out. Also, we don't know how long we have. Luckily, here at Mutiny Radio, we have a space where we can, there's, it's uncensored. We can say whatever we want, and that's not true around the world. And we, I, the way this regime is going, they don't like folks who disagree with them. They don't like folks who speak up. And I think the more fear they put into people and the more they want to normalize people who are causing violent actions, then there's going to be less and less spaces for this. This, this is not this is not necessarily going to last forever. And so we need to keep spaces like this alive and open, which leads me to do a plug. I don't really ever do plugs. The mutiny radio comedy festival is happening. It's happening today through the fifth. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you can come by mutiny radio here on the corner of 21st and Florida. And you can listen live at mutinyradio.fm. There's a plug comedy shows. Comedy will get us through this. So there we go. Also, I don't have any sponsors here on the show, but that would be really great. Um, pay for the the space out of my pocket and it'd be great to have folks who are really invested in hearing what's happening to be able to support so if you are able please get in touch with me help support the show and the station that would be greatly appreciated if you own a small business or work at a small business a place that i would most likely speak highly of anyway because i do free plugs here however if you have any capital that would be super helpful uh, contrary to popular belief uh, us protesters do not get paid if they did, a lot of us would be better off and probably <laughs> would be uh, sleeping better at night uh, knowing that we had some income coming in for the... But, you know, we don't we do not do it for the pay. We do it because there's a great saying, uh, activism is just, you know, paying rent to be on the, on the planet. So I think that's what a lot of us do. We do it because we don't really have a choice not to. So I just wanted to put that out there for, for everybody. So we have some more news stories coming up. And also want to encourage folks to call in. Please do call in, share what's happening with you, anything you'd like to share, if you're going to any cool organizing meetings, any words of positivity, especially if you're not here in the Bay Area, what's happening where you're living? What can you share with us? Any information? That's great. What makes you feel better about the world? Our number is 415-550-0511. 
Uh, here's a good positive story. They come up every now and then. Believe me, they do. And again, that's another thing with the news. It's like the news wants to say, oh, everything's terrible is happening. And I think to an extent we do need to report on the terrible things that people in positions of power are doing so we can be aware of it and learn how to fight back. And we need to celebrate when people take to the streets and act up and resist. So we can learn a lot from that. We can learn a lot from history. (coughs) My voice is already going. This article comes from Fusion. This came out on the 28th of February. Activists in California just proved you can push ICE out of your city. Now, of course, they mean capital I-C-E, not actual ICE. That's frozen water. I made that joke last week. Uh, This was written by Jorge Rivas. Immigrants' rights activists in Santa Ana, California, were instrumental in creating the conditions that made immigration officials declare this month that it's no longer viable to keep a local detention facility open. Santa Ana is just one city, but we showed that it is possible to get U.S. immigration and customs uh, enforcement out of your communities. Jairo Cortez, an organizer with Orange County Immigrant Youth United, an undocumented immigrant youth-led immigrants, immigrant rights group, told Fusion. ICE conform, confirmed that they sent Santa Ana officials written notification on February 23rd, advising them the agency intends <coughs> to terminate its detention contract in 90 days. The Santa Ana ICE facility announcement comes just weeks after a series of immigration raids across the country left immigrant communities reeling with fear and anxiety. But now that ICE has announced they're leaving the Santa Ana facility, the activists have been reinvigorated and have a new set of demands for the city officials that approved the ICE contract in the first place. The city of Santa Ana entered into a contract with ICE to make empty beds in the city jail available for detaining immigrants in 2006, according to the OC Register. In 2011, the agreement expanded and ICE decided, decided, they did, dedicated, they didn't decide, they dedicated an entire unit in the existing city jail facility to detain gay, bisexual, and transgender detainees. In May 2016, the facility was detaining 182 ICE detainees, including 26 who identified as gay or bisexual and 31 transgender detainees, according to the OC Register. Currently, about 45% of ICE's average daily population of 40,875 detainees are held in county and city jails through what are referred to as intergovernmental service agreements. Around the country, there are 86 facilities with contracts similar to the one in Santa Ana, where ICE shares the jail with local law enforcement authorities. Most of these facilities are county jails, an ICE spokesperson told Fusion. Many local sheriffs and city officials are forthcoming and say being able to lock up ICE detainees allow local governments to generate revenue. The city needs to take responsibility for engaging in a business that profit that profited from human suffering, said Cortez. He said, now they need to do everything within their means to advocate for the release of the people in that facility. A coalition of immigrant rights groups held countless protests over the last three years to close down the facility, including what became an annual demonstration where activists would chain themselves together and block an intersection near the jail. There was a hunger strike, and at one point, one group filed a civil complaint accusing the jail of having an alleged policy, practice, or custom to unlawfully strip-search the women. ICE said it would investigate the complaint and that it 
in instances where misconduct by custodial personnel is substantiated, prompt and appropriate action will be taken. Most recently, the activists pressured the city council not to renew the ICE contract set to expire in 2020. In the meantime, the city council agreed to limit the number of jail beds made available for immigrant detainees. All of this created the conditions for ICE itself to cancel the contract, said Cortez. Cortez, who was undocumented and grew up walking past the detention center to get to his high school, said most people are shocked when they learn Santa Ana officials detained immigrants in the city jail. Some locals call Santa Ana the most Mexican big city in the U.S. According to census data, about 78% of residents are Latinx in the city located about 40 miles south of downtown Los Angeles. The mayor and city council are also all Latinx. City officials say they never wanted to be in the jail business, but they ended up signing a contract with ICE to keep the city budget afloat. The city of Santa Ana is in debt for the, for the estimated $107 million jail that they built when the crime rate was higher in the 1990s. Now that the crime rate is much lower, the city entered into an ICE contract to fill the empty beds and help pay the $24 million debt they still owe for the facility. The Santa Ana jail receives about $340,000 in revenue from the ICE contract per month, according to the OC Register. (coughs) A contract from February 2016 showed the city rejected a plan that valued the bed day rate at $105 per bed. In an email to Fusion, an ICE official clarified why the agency is leaving Santa Ana. ICE values its long-standing relationship with the city of Santa Ana, but recent actions by the city to drastically curtail the number of beds available at the city's jail to house immigration detainees meant the existing detention contract was no longer viable or cost-effective, Virginia Kais, a spokesperson for ICE, told Fusion. Kais went on to say, when weighing its detention options, Options. ICE's foremost considerations are the welfare of those in our custody and ensuring the agency is being a responsible steward of taxpayers' money. ICE will also close down a unique detention unit in the Santa Ana City Jail, known as the GBT Pod, opened in 2011, that exclusively detained gay, bisexual, and transgender detainees. In May 2016, the agency announced it's opening a new 36-bed pod for transgender detainees in Texas at the Prairie Land Detention Center. Kais said detainees who remain at the Santa Ana facility would be transferred to appropriate housing within ICE's detention system. She did not offer more details when asked if transgender detainees will be moved to the Prairie Land Detention Center in Texas. The ICE detention facility in Santa Ana is located in a relatively central location compared to most detention centers, which means detainees were closer to advocates and attorneys. This kind of proximity can be crucial for more vulnerable individuals like the people detained in the GBT pod. But while the activists are claiming victory for closing the Santa Ana ICE facility, they say their organizing isn't over. This is not the end. We know there is a lot more work to do, and it's going to be difficult work, Genesette Gutierrez, an immigrant rights activist with Familia Trans Queer Liberation Movement, said at press conference last Friday. As a uh, 
Gutierrez said activists will have a plan of action to support undocumented trans women wherever ICE transfers them. As a trans woman, I know and understand that no detention center is safe for us, said Gutierrez. And now, if you've been listening to the show for a while and or are aware of what's happening in the news, you may remember about two years ago, um, I think it was about two years ago, uh, Gutierrez uh, spoke out at an Obama speech calling him out on all the deportations of trans women that there are. And she was silenced by a lot of the people in the crowd and by Obama himself. And a lot of people in the crowd were a lot of white cis gay men who told her to told her to be quiet. Yet, of course, what she's talking about is super serious and a huge, this is a, a big deal. And I apologize for not using words that, that do this justice. But this has like been happening for a long time with, with trans folks being detained and being locked away and not treated fairly. And she spoke out against this. She interrupted Obama, which I think is fucking awesome. And people were like, oh, you can't interrupt a president. And then now, of course, Trump's saying a lot of the same things. And people are like, oh, well, Trump is saying it. So it's okay for us to interrupt him. And it's like, if we had all along been able to really call out people in positions of power doing really reprehensible things, we wouldn't be where we are now. So I also just want to just add gratitude to Genesette Gutierrez for constantly doing this and for doing this work on on the behalf of trans people who are experiencing this. All right, so we're going to take a bit of a music break. I'm going to get my voice back. We'll see. We're going to play some more from Amarasu, and the album is called Rebecca.
Your problem 
Welcome Back, that was Star Amorasu, and those songs we just heard were Meg Ryan and Space, and you can find that on the new EP, Rebecca, and you can also listen online if you go to soundcloud.com slash Star Amorasu, and that's S-T-A-R-A-M-E-R-A-S-U. Ah. <clears throat> so it's about 1.08 p.m. Coming at you from Mutiny Radio. Again, a plug that we've got the Comedy Festival today, tomorrow, and Sunday here at Mutiny Radio. For the full schedule, check out mutinyradio.fm. <sighs> As I mentioned earlier on the show, uh, there have been a number of trans women this year who have been murdered. It's been epidemic, and the, it's super gross and problematic and disgusting and sad and language doesn't do this justice at all and something else that's extremely problematic is that sometimes in the media quite often they end up being uh, folks who have been murdered end up being misgendered in the news reports and by police and by the coroners and this is um, it's sick it's really fucking sick and this is something that's been happening before this administration took power and there's already been a number of folks so far this year that have been reported murdered. In this article, uh, the Mazzoni Center, which in Philadelphia, they they share this article, and it's from identities.mike. Jaquarius Holland, 18, fuck, 18-year-old trans woman killed in Louisiana, misgendered in reports. And this article is written by Matthew Rodriguez, and it came out on February 28th. Jacarius Holland, an 18-year-old transgender woman living in Monroe, Louisiana, was murdered on February 19th and, due to initial misgendering, was not reported as transgender. KARD and KTVE reported that Holland was shot during a verbal altercation on February 19th, but the news report continues to misgender Holland. Friends of Holland's have since corrected the reports on social media and identified Holland as a transgender woman. In a phone interview with Mike, Chesna Littleberry, a friend of Holland's, said Holland identified as transgender and used she and her pronouns. She and Holland met about seven months ago and quickly became friends. Holland, who was unemployed and housing insecure, often stayed at Littleberry's home, though she often moved around a lot. She didn't want to feel like she was intruding, but she didn't live with her parents or anything like that, Littleberry said. Littleberry said Holland also went by the name Jacarius Brown and often used the hashtag, hashtag Pretty Brown, to describe herself. Littleberry said Holland loved R&B singer Kay Michelle. When they first met, Holland told Littleberry that she reminded Holland of the R&B songstress. Littleberry had promised to one day bring Holland to a Kay Michelle concert. Littleberry called Holland the eyelash queen because she always wore eyelashes out of the house. She also loved to do makeup and hairstyling. Littleberry set up a GoFundMe campaign to be used toward Holland's funeral. The GoFundMe uses both male and female pronouns as Holland's family continued to use male pronouns to describe Holland. Littleberry has raised $355 out of a total of $5,000 goal. Littleberry said she started the GoFundMe campaign because she wanted to help the family. She felt Holland was like a younger sister to her, and Holland taught her self-acceptance. I've struggled with accepting myself and being who I am, and she always helped me with that, Littleberry said. I want her to rest peacefully. That's why I'm really excited. 
According to KARD and KTVE, a warrant charging second-degree murder was signed for the arrest of Malcolm Harvey. People have been remembering Holland on Facebook, and they provide uh, a screen cap here. Rest in power, Jacarius Holland of Monroe, Louisiana, 18 years old. She was murdered on the 19th, but we are just finding out because she was misgendered by the police and the media. I am trying to find the understanding in all of this, but it is hard. There's another post. Damn, my cousin really gone. This is really a throwback. R.I.P. Jacarius Holland. Love you, Brown. Although reports of Holland's age online have been conflicted, the Oachita Parish coroner confirmed in a phone interview with Mike that Holland was 18. Holland's death is the seventh reported homicide of a transgender woman in 2017, the fifth in February, and the third death in less than a week in the state of Louisiana. Within the past week, Mike reported on the deaths of China Doll Dupree and Clara McElveen, both of whom were killed in New Orleans. <sighs> Fuck. So this is another recurring theme here on the show is having to announce the names of trans women who have been murdered. This happens every fucking week. And we'll do a moment of silence. All right, welcome back to the show. Um, for folks who do feel like taking action and being in support, there's a lot of great organizations you can donate to, and also just be nice to the trans folks in your life. That should, should fucking go without saying, but apparently we need a reminder of that. And also, if you have conversations with people, if you hear transphobic language anywhere, call people out on it. As trans folks are fucking tired of it, cis people, wake the fuck up. Come get your come come get come get, come get your family. Come get your friends. Can get your coworkers, people who use this language. It leads to it leads to violence. It needs to end. It's exhausting, and and trans folks are the ones who have to do the, all the fucking educating on it. And it's it's exhausting and it's tiring. Can you f imagine what that's like? And I recognize that people listening to the program are most likely folks who are already calling people out on their shit. I would hope. You know, I don't think. There's a lot of transphobes listening to this show. I don't know. Or maybe there are folks who don't see themselves as transphobic, but it's a reminder that silence is complicit. Tomorrow, um, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at San Jose City Hall, there's the Santa Clara County Rally to support trans JNC students. So please do come out if you're able. Um, the hashtag is hashtag show up for the number four trans youth. 
and the details here. The Trump administration announced a new attack on transgender students by stating that it will stop enforcing the Title IX education protections and rescinding the protections that the Obama administration issued last May. Please join us in protesting this awful attack on our communities. This event will center trans GNC youth as they are the ones most directly affected. This action will be filmed both by us and the media. We will only film towards the speakers, but we cannot control what the media does. So please take appropriate preventative measures if you are concerned about being on camera. If there is a strong enough wireless signal, we will also live stream via FB. We will try to post a link here, but in the event that we get too busy, please check Gwen Park's FB page to see if it's being live streamed. ASL and Spanish language translations will be provided. Limited seating will be available. Seating is reserved for folks who need it. Please comment or message us with any additional access needs. And they also have the translation here in Spanish. And yeah, so again, that's tomorrow. That's Saturday, March 4th at San Jose City Hall, which is located at 200 East Santa Clara Street in San Jose. If you're around, please go check it out and support the folks, the speakers, the organizers, the youth, everyone who's there. That's another way to show up is to literally show up in person. And I know it's hard because there's a lot of things happening. I oftentimes wish I could be in multiple places at the same time. That was something today. There's a lot of times folks need court support. This morning, uh, there's a hearing for uh, support for the family of Kayla Moore. And Kayla Moore was a woman, a transgender woman of color, who was murdered by the Berkeley police in 2013. Uh, we went, uh, I shouldn't say weeks, I'm barely, I can do so much. Anyway, so folks went to the federal building, I think it's maybe a few, four months ago, it's difficult to remember exactly when, um, with the family and the, you know, we got there and the judge, uh, was like, Oh, we're going to push this off for another few months. And then they had another hearing and someone who was there was able to call in and gave us a report. So today from 9am to 11am folks were again at the Philip Burton federal building to support the family of Kayla Moore and to demand justice for her family. And so we will hopefully hear about what has happened there. Um, again, this is just another example of police brutality and also why it's, it's not wise to call the police pretty much in any situation. And especially if someone's having a mental health disturbance, the, the police come in and a lot of times they're not trained and they end up murdering the people that they're there to help protect or to help, you know, save. So Kayla Moore is just one more uh, person whose life was taken by the police. So it looks like there's another upcoming event here that's been posted, so I want to share that. That is Saturday, uh, April 8th, from noon to 5 p.m. at the Berkeley Fellowship of Unitarian Universalists, and that's at 1924 Cedar Street in Berkeley. And this event says, what can mental health care and crisis response look like without police involvement? Join the Justice for Kayla Moore Coalition, Berkeley Cop Watch, for a forum to address that very question. The forum will feature individuals and organizations who are fighting for, building, and living out mental health alternatives to the police. We will also discuss next steps for our campaign to fight for changes in how the city of Berkeley and our communities approach mental health crises. Would you like to present or volunteer at the forum? It's not too late to get involved, and you can contact them uh, via the Justice for Kayla Moore Facebook group. 
you can call or text 510-224-5950 or email justice4 with the number 4, Kayla Moore at Gmail. That's K-A-Y-L-A-M-O-O-R-E. And again, this is April 8th, so please put that in your calendars. There's also a Facebook invite. Responding to Mental Health Crises Without BPD, a Community Forum. So please do check that out and help out if you're able and show up. And again, I recognize it's difficult to be in multiple places at the same time. I think a lot of us who do want to be in multiple places at the same time, it's, it's, it's tricky. And I really want to encourage folks who are listening, who, who don't go out very often, to actions or to the courts to support families. It's really important that folks come out if you're able to show that support. In order to stop this regime that's happening, we need millions of people. We need a lot more people. We need to fill the streets every fucking day. We need to shut down business as usual. It's going to take a lot more people involved. And again, even if you can't come in person, you can spread the word. You can have conversations with people. You can put up flyers, pay for fucking billboards, for ads. Really, really, we need a lot more people on board here. I know a lot of folks are afraid. People are angry. People are upset. And one great way to use that energy is to use that for action. It's to organize, to meet people, to create actions, to to stand up to this regime. No one's going to come in and save us. If that were the case, that would be awesome. We could all just rest assured, but that's that's not happening. So we can't wait for 2018. We can't wait for 2020. We all need to come together and stop this regime right now. And the, the violence that we've been seeing in this country is only going to increase. It only has been increasing in the last few months. And it's up to us to stop it. We can't. No one's going to come in. I think, you know, sometimes we, we talk about outer space and the aliens coming down and helping helping us, possibly. I happen to be wearing a shirt that's from the... The movie from the 50s, The Day the Earth Stood Still and the Aliens Come Down. Spoiler alert, the movie's been out for almost 70 years. They come down and they, they make all the weapons disappear because the Earthlings don't know how to respond to, to aliens. They think, oh my gosh, someone's going to come hurt us. We don't understand them. We can't learn another language. So they, they come out with their armies and their tanks. And, you know, back then they were a lot less militarized. So they weren't dressed for a riot like the cops are nowadays. The army comes out with their guns and their tanks. And the aliens are like, no, we, we want to make peace. You know, we want to come help you. And the earthlings are like, ah, <laughs> something different, something we don't understand, which is actually an allegory for, for communism. Like, oh my gosh, something, a new way of thinking. Ah, oh, we're afraid. We're going to get our weapons. And then the aliens are like, no, stop it. And then they, they make all the weapons disappear. And I think about that all the time, how, you know, how the earth would be if all of a sudden the guns and tanks and bombs were just to disappear. People actually had to talk to each other and have discussions. They didn't rely on, on weapons and the military. How, what would the world be like? It'd be a lot safer, I think. That would be pretty awesome. So anyway, that's, that's one thing that could happen. And since that's not really happening and hasn't happened yet, uh, aliens from outer space haven't come down to save humanity from itself and to protect the Earth. The very least we can do right now is to get out in the streets, to organize, to talk to your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your families, people you might disagree with. Just to let them know that even though they're not being attacked right now by the current administration, a lot of people are. And if you care about humanity, if you care about your family, if you care about doing what's morally right, you'll stand up. Oh, okay, so that's out of my system. No, it's not. I'll probably be talking about this for a long time to come as soon as we, until, until we get shut down, which hopefully will, will not happen. So it's good to support independent media. Uh, so I've been talking about some more positive news stories here and really do want to share that because there are a lot of positive things that are that are happening and want to give folks uh, want to give folks um, a voice. So there's another organization. There's a lot of organizations. Some are more progressive than others. And of course, 
we can go on and on about what that means. And so I also want to just give voice to other organizations. One is called If Not Now, and they have event details about an event happening uh, on March 19th uh, in LA, as well as March 24th to the 27th in DC. And this is, they start off with saying, it is time to reclaim, reimagine, and resist. And so there's a pledge you can sign to join the Jewish resistance at AIPAC. And they also have links to find a community action meeting near you. And again, this is through If Not Now. And they have links where you will learn even more about our strategy to connect with others doing going to the Jewish resistance at AIPAC. And you can RSVP for the next national campaign call. We host them every Thursday evening. And you can learn more. And so they say, why protest the AI PAC? Why now, why us? So the AI PAC, which is AIPAC, promotes endless occupation and Islamophobia in the name of the Jewish community, but they do not represent our generation of Jews. Their cozy relationship with the Trump administration is their final betrayal of our community. As the occupation enters its 50th year, we are reclaiming our Jewish values by taking action to support freedom and dignity for all. And we will do this in bold and beautiful ways rooted in Jewish resistance. We will be the leaders that the establishment refuses to be. On March 24th to 26th, we will come together for the largest action yet in the Jewish resistance to disrupt the strongest supporters of Trump and the occupation on their biggest stage. And they have the schedule at a glance. So Friday, March 24th at 7 p.m. is a Shabbat dinner gathering. On Saturday, March 25th, day of Shabbat, rest and preparation, trainings, and restorative events throughout the day. Sunday, March 26th, from 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., mass mobilization. And Monday, March 27th, is the Anti-Islamophobia Day of Action. And for more information, uh, they have links here on the website. Again, if you go to if not, if you go to the ifnotnowmovement.org, they have facts uh, as an FAQ, although facts too, F-A-C-T-S, I'm sure, in the website, and a full schedule on how to get there. So there's a lot of ways you can take action. And again, this is happening in uh, Los Angeles and in D.C. So I'm wanting to put that forward. <sighs> this is Roman. You're listening to the Weekly Review. There's a lot of, lot of news stories out there. So as per usual, we'll get to what we can get to today on the show. Stay tuned because coming up next will be Global Val with Women's Magazine followed by the Common Thread Collective. And then after that is the Comedy Festival starting tonight. Well, it started last Wednesday, and it will continue on tonight. Here is something in the uh, psychological realm that we can share. <laughs> and uh, this comes from Quartz. And this is uh, which is QZ.com. A philosopher's 350-year-old trick to get people to change their minds is now backed up by psychologists. Interesting. And uh, the article was written... Uh, by Olivia Goldhill. And the 17th century philosopher Blaise Pascal is perhaps best known for Pascal's wager, which, in the first formal use of decision theory, argued that believing in God is the most pragmatic decision. But it seems the French thinker also had a knack for psychology. As Brain Pickings points out, Pascal set out the most effective way to get someone to change their mind centuries before experimental psychologists began to formally study persuasion. When we wish to correct with advantage and to show another that he errs, we must notice from what side he views the matter. For on that side, it is usually true, and may that the truth to him, 
but reveal to him the side on which it is false. He is satisfied with that, for he sees that he is not mistaken, and that he only failed to see all sides. Now, no one is offended at not seeing everything, but one does not like to be mistaken, and that perhaps arises from the fact that man naturally cannot see everything, and that naturally uh, he cannot, uh, excuse me, he cannot err in the side he looks at, since the perceptions of our senses are always true. Pascal added, people are generally better persuaded by the reasons which they have themselves discovered than by those which have come into the mind of others. Put simply, Pascal suggests that before disagreeing with someone, the first, uh, first point out the ways in which they're right, and to effectively persuade someone to change their mind, lead them to discover a counterpoint of their own accord. Arthur Markman, psychology professor at the University of Texas at Austin, says both these points hold true. One of the first things you have to do to give someone permission to change their mind is to lower their defenses and prevent them from digging their heels in to the position they've already staked out, he says. Now we'll take a little break from this, this article here and talk a little bit about an experience I had very recently. Um, so there's been an increase in folks protesting outside Planned Parenthoods, which is enraging and sickening, and that even happened here in San Francisco the other day, uh, outside the Planned Parenthood on Valencia Street in the Mission District. And I had gone by with a friend earlier, and my friend pointed it out because I didn't notice them. And then on my way home, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to walk by and, and talk to these folks because the fact that people are like protesting outside a clinic where people go in to get help is just sickening. And of course, San Francisco also has its liberal reputation, which is, I, of course, you know, start off calmly being like, what are you doing here? You know, you're not helping people. How are you helping women? This is a place where people receive a lot of services. You're spreading propaganda. You're harming people. Do you not have anything better to do with your time than harass people who are just getting health care? And also, if you want to really like prevent people from getting health care, just go down a block, go to St. Luke's, because if you want to stop people from seeing a doctor, there's a lot more people you can affect that way. And at one point, I had three of them <laughs> coming at me with their illogic. It was Ash Wednesday, and one woman had the ashes on her forehead, and I really <laughs> wanted to go back in time and just to to say, you know, if you go into the clinic, they could probably take a look at that for you. I didn't say that, though. And then there was a guy who had this uh, keychain with a fetus shaped like a baby on it, and he was like, what do you think this is? What does this look like to you? And I was like, it's a keychain. It's a prop. It's, it's nothing real. And then he also was, of course, reminding me that I was a fetus once, which I, of course, do not remember. It must be all the drug use. No, we don't remember what happened at a certain age, especially when we were, anyway. I don't, the fact that I didn't have to talk about it again is just, why are we wasting our fucking energy in our lives trying to reason with people who are idiots? Not even idiots, but maybe misinformed and it's just terrible. So of course, and he's like, he's like, your mom had, you know, bringing my mother into this, which is a really great junior high thing to do. This is like an old man, by the way. I didn't know my fucking mom. And I'm also, it's, it's like, I'm like, well, it was my mom's choice to have me. It was no one else's decision, but my mother's choice to have me. So it doesn't matter what your argument is. The, the idea that they somehow think they have rights over other people's bodies. And I try really hard to, I do want to be open-minded and hear where other people are coming from. And when they're telling people what they can or cannot do with their bodies and spreading misinformation, they're going in there, they're standing outside this clinic saying that they're killing children in there. And anyone who's been in a Planned Parenthood knows that they provide health services. It's like the opposite. They, they help people. I know a lot of people whose lives have been helped by Planned Parenthood. And I recognize that there are other clinics that do a lot more work and also even going beyond the whole abortion argument. Even though it is, okay, first, like, where do you, am I just fucking preaching to the choir where it's like, people are going to get them done regardless. So it's either going to be safe 
or not safe. So don't don't you want it to be fucking safe? And then also, it's someone's body. Like, if you... I, 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 anyway, this article comes in handy because, like, I can't... Like, I really am, like... Also, if you, you know, like, I guess maybe one argument could be like, oh, you really care about children. You're only saving children. What are you doing to, like, help refugees right now? If that's your main concern, if you really want to help women. And so I did say that. I asked them, like, what are you doing to help women right now instead of standing outside a fucking uh, clinic? Which, of course, they don't even, abortion services only make up a very minimal amount of the actual services that they do provide. And also providing birth control prevents. Why do I, the fact that we even have to talk about this is ridiculous. It's like me defending myself for being trans. It's like, I exist in the world. Women exist in the world. What makes it so hard for people to realize that, to recognize that, to accept that? Anyway, so I'm trying to like understand where they're coming from. So, of course, I say, well, what are you doing right now to help women? And their idea was, well, we're, we're trying to provide them with real information, but they're lying to them. And that's the idea that somehow that, that people don't know what their bodies are capable of and what's best for them is just so gross and, and obscene. And it's a lot of like really representative of what this administration is like. Oh. Anywho, getting back to this article about how to talk to folks who maybe disagree with you. The thing is, though, I also want to assume one can talk about, you know, folks, we all have, we all live in our own bubbles. We all have our own experiences. And then when folks come out with like complete untruths, though, it's really hard to, it's really hard to see eye to eye or hard to listen. So maybe this article might help me out a little bit. I don't know. So they say, again, people are generally better persuaded by the reasons which they have themselves discovered than by those which have come into the mind of others. But simply, Pascal suggests that before disagreeing with someone, first point out the ways in which they're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Killing babies is wrong. So why don't you go prevent wars? Why don't you out feed people? I'll use that one next time. Oh, to finish the story, by the way, I'm interrupting myself from the article. I was like losing it. And I, I get, I, I mean, ugh, how can you not lose it when talking with folks like that? So I go, I go into the, the Planned Parenthood and I speak with some of the folks who are working there or one person, not folks, but one person was there. And I was like, Hey, you know, um, I'm a concerned neighbor and I'm just concerned about the folks who are protesting out front and I want to be support. How can I be a support? And like, Oh, we appreciate that. And they gave me a list in the, of things that people can do to help. And part of it's, you know, donate or make an appointment, uh, it's like a hashtag, all these things that one can do and things that I pretty much, I don't tweet too much, but I mean, they're, you know, be outspoken about it. And the, the main point though, was just to pretty much ignore the folks out front. And I agree with, I get that in that I wasn't making any progress. It's one thing if you talk with someone and they're willing to listen, like, Oh wait, I never thought about that. That's a great idea. Though these folks were just very much like not listening to what I had to say. And they're so protective of their ideas about what was right. And it was really difficult. And they, they were not, they were not listening. Talking about uh, pro-life folks. Oh, yeah. So then they got really offended. They're like, they were really offended by my language. I probably said fuck a few times. But I find uh, using, you know, swearing a few times is a lot less offensive than, than uh, you know, folks preventing people from getting health care. I think that's really offensive. So tit for tat. Let's continue on with the article. Da, 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 da. Okay. Effectively persuade someone to change their mind. Lead them to discover a counterpoint of their own accord. Uh, Arthur Markman, psychology professor at the University of Texas at Austin, says both these points hold true. One of the first things you have to do is give someone permission to change their mind is to lower their defenses. See, I probably didn't do that when I was yelling at these people. And prevent them from digging their heels into the position they already staked out, he says. If I immediately start to tell you all the ways in which you're wrong, there's no incentive for you to cooperate. But if I start by saying, ah, yeah, you made a couple of really good points here, which I would find really hard with these folks, I think there are important issues. Now you're 
excuse me, now you're giving uh, the other party a reason to want to cooperate as part of the exchange. And that gives you a chance to give voice your a chance to give voice your own concerns about the position in which in a way that allows cooperation. So I like this in theory. When you're talking with fascists though, I mean you don't talk with fascists, you don't I mean it's that's a whole other question, which brings me to the next story. And it might take me a second to bring this up. So we all know about what happened at Cal on February first with Milo and Milo thankfully has been fired from Breitbart and uh, his book deal was canceled, and that's all well and good. And but the thing is, apparently, it was uh, him making some comments about pedophilia that were like too much for some people. It wasn't his previous comments about, you know, misogyny or transphobia or Islamophobia <coughs> or Islamic. You know, is his Islamophobia, Islamophobic comments, statements. He wasn't talking about the process of it. He was just talking about it as a. Uh, anyway, it's like, oh, this is where you draw the line. And again, it's also just really upsetting given that it's kind of from this gay angle where it's like, oh, we can't have male pedophiles, but we can't have a, you know, we can't have like this Trump who's a fuck, you know, who's accused of raping a 13 year old. He's their fucking, I can't even say that, president. So that somehow that's okay. But for Milo, it's not okay. And again, it's what are we, what are folks willing to listen to and accept? Gross. <coughs> it's 137. I'm going to get to this article and then I'm going to drink some water. And then I'll play some music and then probably read some more. Also, a lot of events happening. Uh, gender strike, March 8th in San Francisco. I'll read my movie uh, trailer voice. Rally at noon at just, oh, I can't, my voice is going. Justin Herman Plaza, which is also be rena- has been renamed Chelsea Manning Plaza, as a lot of folks, you know, people rename places all the time, which I think is awesome. Uh, Frank Ogawa Plaza in Oakland has been renamed Oscar Grant Plaza. So, these happen a lot. Great. We should rename them for folks who deserve to have... I mean... Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. So Justin Herman slash Chelsea Manning Plaza in San Francisco. Rally at noon, March 8th. There will be speakers, free childcare, and materials for making signs. I like all those things. March from Justin Herman Plaza to the ICE headquarters. In the spirit of direct action and participation, folks are encouraged to form affinity groups, come with family or friends, form your own block or join an existing block there will be a feminist pink block marching together and distributing literature self-organize pick a color theme get creative and block up at our target we will build a wall around ice and shut down ice and again that's ice yeah so again that's this wednesday march 8th uh lots of folks will be out there come join us yay good times it's 139. I'm going to get to the one more, the story I was going to get to, and that'll be playing some music. Oh, there's just so much news. So much to get to. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Transgender Day of Visibility. There's going to be a few different events happening. One's happening on the 31st, but the one I'm going to get to first is happening on March 29th, and that's Wednesday at 6 p.m. at the UCSF LGBT Resource Center in San Francisco. And I'll talk more about that as that date approaches. And then again, that's happening on March 29th. There's an event happening tomorrow. There's a couple of events happening tomorrow. I'll get to what I can get to. And it's happening in Berkeley. He was shut down. Um, it was cool. Some black block folks showed up and shut them down. And uh, some of the, the Berkeley College Republicans were the ones who sponsored the event and have been very buddy-buddy with like the neo-Nazis, white supremacist movement, the, the 45 supporters. They want to come march in Berkeley again. And so they have also canceled events that were going to happen 
in Sacramento and LA so the event in Berkeley can have more people. Ugh. Really. Ugh. No. Bad news. So, uh, I'm scrolling down, getting to the, the article about this. And so folks are calling for people to come out and stand up against these folks. And this is from It's Going Down, which is another great resource. Uh, there's a lot of good articles on, on there. And uh, this is called Once More with Feeling. And again, it's calling for people to come out on Saturday, which is tomorrow, March 4th. One problem with this, aside from just these fascists out fucking marching in public, is that they're by the police station. And we all know that the police protect the Nazis, and there's Nazis within the police forces around the country. And so that's, ugh, gross. There's a lot of gross things about what's happening. And folks need to stand up to stop them. Okay. So once once more feeling, bracing for March 4th in Berkeley. This is by an anonymous contributor, and this came out on March 1st. On March 4th, 2017, at 2 p.m., at the Peace Wall, of all fucking places, in Berkeley, California, fascists are coming back. The feeling across organized circles is that is this, on some level, a trap. So come and enjoy a strategy of vigilance. Please don't run alone after the first fascist you see, but collect yourself and take note of your surroundings, find allies and accomplices. There will be no platform for fascism in the Bay Area, nor will revolutionaries be pawns in some neo-reactionary game. Our strength is exercised not just in our ability to respond and react, but in our proactive autonomy that creates a cool, determined, collected atmosphere of safety and solidarity. May we humbly suggest not taking any bait, but make collective decisions, stay with your affinity group, and resist the frogmen that come out from behind the keyboards. This is not a statement on any particular tactic. It's a call for strategic engagement. Some wisdom garnered from fascist demonstrations over the last few years in California suggests that some participants on their side are easily shaken and violently react with weapons. This is to say, anti-fascists should be aware of this in scenarios in which small numbers of boneheads slash frogmen walk to and from the demonstration. What began as a direct response to February 1st, a march for free speech, with the frat brown shirt Proud Boys as special guests, has been completely rebranded since Milo's fall from grace. Now, the organizers of these marches for Trump are trying to pull together a coalition of libertarians, ANCAPs, armed militias, brown shirt alt-right enforcers, the patriotic Tea Party crowd, and the alt-light deplorables without alienating any of them. Rich Black is the public face of the March on Berkeley. His Twitter header is a pastel ANCAP flag. He neglected to make the March on Berkeley Facebook event page or its guest list private. In an attempt to funnel every angry conservative in California into downtown Berkeley, he or other organizers canceled the Sacramento and Los Angeles marches and combined them with Berkeley's. He seems very eager to simultaneously A. Reassure everyone that this is not an alt-right event, and B. Tag Gavin McGinnis begging for promotion retweet the Proud Boys, and tag both them and the Oath Keepers in his tweets. For someone who isn't organizing a fascist march, he sure wants all the fascists to know about it. The Berkeley College Republicans, everyone's favorite concentration of truly banal evil, will be in attendance as well. 
In meetings, they've been enthusiastically hyping March 4th and are trying to get the California state militia to show up. BCR's alt-right and white nationalist ties are well-documented and getting stronger. Jack Palkovic was spotted on BART with Identity Europa founder Nathan Domingo. They hugged each other goodbye. The feeling on the ground is that this is, on some level, a trap. They're massing outside the police station. The cops are ready to protect these fascists, and they aren't going to be hands-off this time. Camera-hungry Milo counter-protesters, like Eddie Brock, show up in Rich Black's Twitter conversations. They call themselves a march, but there's no parade route even being discussed. Their organizers claim to be working with police, militias, and the FBI, and they're expecting anti-fascist resistance. They've been circulating our calls to action, warning each other that the specter of Antifa will be back to haunt them. So show up and haunt these motherfuckers. Bring your friends. Give them hell. But be careful. Berkeley is the hill that the alt-right and their growing coalition have chosen to flounder on, and they're only getting cockier. We shut these fascists down before, and we'll do it again. So you can find this article at itsgoingdown.org, as well as some other articles on a lot of pressing items that are happening in the news. It's 1.45. We'll be taking a bit of a break. Coming up at 2 p.m. will be Global Val with Women's Magazine. So stay tuned. And I'll be playing some more from Amarasu. And this is the bonus track on the album, Empathy.
And welcome back to the Weekly Review. So we're just uh, finishing up now. And coming up next will be Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread with uh, Common Thread Collective with Diamond Dave and Global Val as well. Got a good show coming up for everyone, so please do stay tuned. We'll be taking a we'll be playing the breaker right now. So again, thanks everyone for listening. And again, come by Mutiny Radio uh, tonight, Saturday, and Sunday for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Have a great week, everyone. We'll be back next week. Stay safe if you're going out there. Uh, if you're organizing, please, uh, yeah, please organize. Go out there, tell a friend, tell, uh, tell friends, tell your enemies. Talk, have conversations, find ways to get on the same page if possible, and let's shut down this fascist government. Let's de- shut down the fascist neighbors we have and try to create a world where everyone feels safe. And that's all I got to say for now. But again, thanks everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week and have a wonderful week everyone Alex Ed can you tell me what food relieves insomnia anxiety stress chronic brain depression nausea and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite I'm gonna guess waffles <laughs> that is incorrect <laughs> actually Alex the food I'm talking about are cannabis based medicinal extracts cannabis based medicinal extracts that sounds like you're smoking drugs Ed no baby there are smokeless safe and less expensive alternatives to smoke it. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby! Good! Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again! And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive pharmaceutical free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com This is Tushar Matters with Mutiny Radio. Big up to the number one station, the ruling nation. Give it to me every time. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. 
But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's Performance Space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsidai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Subliminal SF brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. The second annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is coming March 1st through 5th, 2017 to San Francisco, featuring 25 shows in five days and 50 comedians from across the entire U.S., from Washington and Portland to Los Angeles, New York to Indiana, Tennessee to Pennsylvania, these comics 
will join San Francisco's best underground comedians for five days of comedy at Mutiny Radio. All shows will be live streaming and available after via podcast at www.mutinyradio.fm. But see them live in our intimate 30-seat performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Mission, March 1st through 5th. Tickets available on our website, www.mutinyradio.fm now. Brought to you by our generous festival sponsors, Alta California Botanicals, Destiny's Mom, What a Tomato Produce Company, the law offices of John P. Strauss III, Asiento, FruitFruitHot.com, Jankytown.org, Brooke Heineken, Pervert Fervor, and Trina Roderick. Asiento. This locally owned Mission Neighborhood Bar and Restaurant is excited to be a sponsor for the festival. We hope you'll join us any night of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival for happy hour pricing all night long. Just mention that you are an audience member for happy hour pricing March 1st through the 5th at Asiento. Our address is 2730 21st Street at Bryant Street, just a half a block away from Mutiny Radio. Asiento has a warm, friendly neighborhood vibe that's perfect for an after-work drink or for a night out. Featuring a comfortable bar and extensive tapas menu, this is the perfect place for groups that want to get together for drinks and food. Join us at Asiento. Whoa there. What a tomato! Where did you find such a nice tomato? What a tomato? I know, I just said that. Where'd you get that fine heirloom? What a tomato. Look, man, this isn't a come on. Just tell me where you got that beautiful tomato. What a tomato. No, no, seriously, I actually want to eat a tomato. I love tomatoes. Where did you get that tomato? What a tomato. Dude, it's a fine, beautiful tomato. I want to eat one, too. I want one right now. I like to eat them like an apple with salt. Tell me, where'd you get the tomato? What a tomato. Are you high? Just tell me where I can find a tomato like that. What a tomato. Is this a metaphor? What a tomato produce company in San Francisco. For all your wholesale produce needs, 2055 Jared Avenue. Hope your legs are looking sexy, because we're going to charm your pants off. Come to the Charm Offensive Comedy Show at Punchline San Francisco. It's a night of great jokes, magnetic personalities, featuring the Bay Area's most awarded comedians, plus national headliners. You'll laugh. You'll swoon. And when you regain your composure, you'll swipe right. Tuesday, March 7th. Doors at 7, show at 7.30 at 444 Battery Street in San Francisco's Financial District. Brought to you by Paco Romaine and Destiny's Mom's Comedy. Our last show sold out, so get your tickets now at punchlinecomedyclub.com. Charm Offensive at Punchline Comedy San Francisco. 